greet you this morning in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen. You know, that's the message of Easter. It's a, it's a message of hope. The choir saying the sun is going to shine no matter what. We know that the sun is going to shine. We know that Jesus Christ is alive and well. Well, it's good to greet you this morning. You're a fine-looking group of people. Some of you wearing your Sunday best, and you look outstanding. Some of you are wearing your normal clothes, and you look outstanding too. Yeah, it's great. Easter's a wonderful time of the year. The springtime, it's really not different here in Hawaii, but if you're from other parts of the world, we know what Easter represents, the springtime, the beginning of new life, rebirth transformation, a sense of new hope, and that's what Easter is all about, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another thing about this time of the year is that the NBA pro basketball playoffs began yesterday. For all of you sports fans, 16 teams, all with a great sense of hope and a huge desire to win, all vying for the NBA championship. You all have your favorite team, right? Well, my son's favorite team is, I don't know if you can see this, the Golden State Warriors. Oh, we got a couple of fans, right? Golden State Warriors? All right, whatever. Where's my son? Oh, sorry, son. But you all have your favorite team, right? And you're all hoping that they win. If you're a LeBron fan, you're hoping that the Miami Heat wins, right? If you're a Kevin Durant fan, you're hoping that Oklahoma City wins. If you're a Kobe fan, you're hoping that he recovers from his injury, and you're hoping that the Lakers get a good number one draft pick. And if you happen to be a New York Knicks fan, you're hoping they trade Carmelo away. <laughs> Hope. That's a funny word, isn't it? You know, when Super Bowl Sunday arrived this year, I had a lot of hope in the Denver Broncos. So much for hope. I see my friends from Seattle there. Congratulations. So much for hope. But that's not the kind of hope we're talking about when we refer to the hope of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. When I say that I hope the Broncos win, it's really just kind of wishful thinking on my part. But in the Bible, but in the Bible, hope means so much more than that. Hope is, it's a certainty it's a deep knowledge. It's an unshakable assurance. It's not just wishful thinking, but it's rather a sense, of, a sense of confidence that carries us through life. And not just this life here on earth, but throughout eternity. That's the kind of hope I want. That confidence that helps me go through today because I can see beyond today and see into eternity because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And the Apostle Paul, the first Christian missionary, he wrote this in his first letter to the Corinthians. And you'll see it up here on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. And this is what he said. He said, I passed, I passed on to you what was most important. And what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So Paul said this. He said, this is most important. That's what that verse says. It's most important to us. And I believe it is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's most important. But I suppose there may be some here this morning that you may be thinking, is the resurrection of Jesus really that important? Is Easter, is Easter really relevant today? It's 2014. That, that event happened more than 2,000 years ago. It's old. Is it relevant today? Is there anything about it that would make a difference in my life? There may be some of you here that are asking those kinds of questions or thinking those kinds of thoughts. Maybe some of you didn't come this morning on your own free will or accord. Maybe you were drugged by somebody or it's just a thing to do because it's Easter Sunday and we always go to church on Easter, then we go get Easter brunch. So some of you may be saying, now nah, all this... Easter stuff, all this resurrection stuff. Does it really have any meaning for me? Well, you don't have to agree with that, what I say. Or you don't have to believe what we believe. But I would just ask that you listen and have an open mind. And perhaps consider what is being said this morning. We read in the scriptures, in the book of Matthew, which is found in the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. It's Matthew chapter 28. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, looking at verses 1 through 10. And this is really the account of that first resurrection Sunday. When the women, Mary, there were a couple of Marys, and some of the other women, they went to the tomb where Jesus was buried the Friday before. And the scriptures tells us that they first encountered an angel at the tomb. And then later on in that passage, they encountered Jesus Christ himself, their risen Lord and Savior. And if you look at these 10 verses, we can see that twice, two times in these 10 verses, we see the word, don't be afraid. In verse 5, when they first see the angel, wouldn't you be afraid? If you saw an angel, the angel says, don't be afraid. And later on, they encounter the risen Lord, and they bow down and they worship at his feet. And the first thing that Jesus tells the ladies is, don't be afraid. And so this morning, my message to you this Easter morning is very simple. You no longer need to be afraid. It's interesting, as I look through the Bible, this phrase of fear not do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Appears more than 350 times in the Bible. 
If it appears that many times, I would assume that God is trying to tell us this morning and throughout his whole word, there's nothing to be afraid of. Don't be afraid. So that's the message this morning. And so, though many of us don't like to admit it, being afraid or fear affects all of us. According to some surveys that I've read, people are afraid that they might fail. They're they're afraid of people who don't like them. We're afraid of cancer. We're afraid of war. We're afraid of germs. We don't think about this all the time, but many people are afraid of death. Usually when you go to a funeral or to a memorial service, you're reminded of the mortality of a human being. And it could be a loved one. And then we start thinking about our own mortality. And if we're uncertain about our future, we're afraid of death. And some of us are afraid of something that more, we're more afraid of than death. You know what that is? Public speaking. How many of you are afraid of speaking in public? I'm sure a lot of you are. You know, that's one of my biggest fears, speaking in public, believe it or not. I would much rather be sitting down there in one of the back corner chairs in my own little world because I'm an introvert. I am. I'm being honest with you. And that's one of my greatest fears. But you ask me, then why are you up here on the stage, Major? I'm in front of hundreds of people. Well, because the Lord has called me to do this. It's not something I would naturally do. So I have to trust in the Lord. But the fear of public speaking. Some people are afraid of water. They're afraid of hurricanes. They're afraid of tsunamis. They're afraid of flying. They're afraid of loud noises. They're afraid of tight places. And if you were here last week, you may remember the lady who was afraid to be buried alive in a box. Some of you remember her, don't you? Some of us are afraid of getting old, perhaps of losing our health. Think of some of our our guys on, I call them the weekend warriors. They're on our basketball team and our softball team. I saw Nick limping in today. Our old bodies just aren't uh, what they used to be. Some people are afraid of being alone, of not being good enough to fit in, of being rejected. You know, it's interesting. I asked some people in our church, people that come to our church very faithfully, and I asked them this question. I said, what is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? And here are some of the responses I received. And they were brutally honest. So I said, what is your greatest fear? One said, my greatest fear is losing my wife and or my daughter whether it's something happens to them or something that breaks us apart. My greatest fear is that I will not go to heaven. What's your greatest fear? Not being able to provide for myself and my family. What is my greatest fear? Failing to be worthy of God's grace for the mistakes I have made in my life. And the last one here, my greatest fear I think right now in my life, 
My greatest fear is not being able to do enough right. I've done so many wrong things in life, and I just want to be able to do the right thing. I'm afraid that the person who I want to be is not really the person that I actually am. You see, fear touches all of us in so many different ways. And you know, fear, properly dealt with, can energize us. But most of the time, fear paralyzes us. But that's where the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes into effect. This morning, I want you to consider just a couple of things about how the resurrection of Jesus can help us face our fears. The first thing is, I believe that the resurrection means that we no longer need to fear our past. We no longer need to fear fear our past. Let me ask you these questions. Does your past ever haunt you? Do you worry that people will find out what you were really like in the past? Are there any skeletons in your closet? You know, a lot of people, when they're asked, would you run for office? A lot of people turn down that opportunity because they know all the skeletons in their closet are going to come out when you open yourself up to the public like that. Well, do you fear that some of your past decisions will come to haunt you? Do you fear that some of your past deeds will disqualify you from entering heaven? And if you said yes to any of these things, let me assure you, you're not alone. You're not alone. You join a large company of people. People like Moses. People like David. People like St. Peter. And probably people that are sitting either next to you or in the same row. There are many people in this company. But you know Moses, of Old Testament fame, before he became the great freedom fighter, before he became the spokesperson for God, and he led the children of Israel out of bondage from Egypt, before he met face to face with God on the mountain, and he personally received the Ten Commandments from God, before that, Moses killed a man. He was a murderer. He was a fugitive. It was certainly not a past to be proud of. Yet God, yet God forgave him. God restored him. And then God used him in a very mighty way to bring honor and glory to God. David, David, he of David and Goliath's fame, A great warrior who became the king. A man after God's own heart. And yet, while he was the king, David succumbed to the temptations and to the lusts of power and of the flesh. He committed adultery. He committed murder. There was cover-up. There was deceit. You don't need to watch Scandal on ABC. There's enough scandal in the Bible. But David, 
lived a very scandalous life, a man after God's own heart. And when he was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan, he repented, he confessed. If you look at Psalm 51, it's a beautiful psalm of David as he repents to the Lord. But God forgave David. God restored David. And then God went on to use David for his purposes and for his design. And it brought honor and glory to God. St. Peter, the fisherman turned disciple of Jesus. One of the closest disciples of Jesus. One of his closest friends. Peter, he walked on water. Peter was nicknamed the rock upon which Jesus said he would build his church. Peter defended Jesus with his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was about to be arrested. And yet when the going got tough, Pete folded. He cursed at a young girl, angrily denying that he knew Jesus. Not just once, not twice, but three times. You know the story well. And the scriptures tells us when Peter denied Jesus the third time that the rooster crowed. And the scripture says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He was full of remorse and guilt. He had failed Jesus. An epic failure if there ever was one. Disappointed Jesus greatly. Yet after the resurrection, and we see the story in John chapter 21, with all compassion and grace, Jesus forgives Peter. Jesus restores Peter. And then Jesus uses Peter to build his kingdom. He says, upon this rock, Peter, this imperfect, this broken, this unfaithful rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And we have the church as it is today because of Peter and how Jesus restored him in spite of his past. And I'm sure as we go around this room and ask people to share their testimonies, they can share very similar stories. Yes, we have a lot of stuff in the past. We have a lot of baggage. We have a lot of disappointments, a lot of failures, a lot of sin. Yet we have wonderful testimonies of the saving grace of Jesus Christ to forgive us, to restore us, and not only that, but then to continue to use us for his service, for his honor, and for his glory. So don't let your past haunt you. Easter has good news for you. Jesus' resurrection shows that the debt for your sin has been paid and that God's holy justice has been satisfied. And we are assured that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as we enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior, our past, is dealt with, and our guilt and our shame is removed. You see, the forgiveness of Jesus through his shed blood 
is what I call the great eraser in life. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven. We have a clean slate. The past is in the past. And when we are truly forgiven, all the baggage and all the weight and all the burden that we bear from our past is lifted off. It's released. And we are free to become all that God meant us to be. How he designed us, how he created us, how he purposed us. But if we're weighed down by the sins of our past, if we haven't allowed Jesus to forgive and to have that released, then we'll continue to be weighed down. So the resurrection means that we don't need to fear the past. We need to give it to Jesus. And the second thing this morning, the resurrection means that we don't need to be afraid about the future either. Uncertainty about the future. That's on many of our mind. You know, the greatest threat we face in life is the threat of death. The fear of death controls our life much more than we realize. This fear can dictate what we eat, what activities we engage in, where we live. But here's the good news. The resurrection of Jesus takes the sting out of death. Easter shows us that there is life beyond the grave. Death is no longer a giant mystery. That's one of the miracles of Easter. Some of you may be thinking about death, or maybe you just lost a loved one. Or you know someone that has a terminal illness, and sometimes there's this great big mystery about death. But when we talk about the resurrection, death is no longer a giant mystery. It's just a mere blip on the screen of eternity. You see, Jesus' return from the grave allows us to face death, our own death, with a different perspective, with an eternal perspective. For the person who trusts in God, death is just a transition. It's just a transition into a new life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have everlasting life. Let me show you something. This might help illustrate eternity and everlasting life. I have a rope here. You see it's orange. It's representative of our life here on earth. You see... Um, if we're fortunate, we may live to be 70 years old, maybe 80, 90. Some of us may be, get to reach the age of 100. And this represents our earthly life. But you can see that our death here on earth is really just a part of the rest of this rope. And we can't see the end of this rope because this rope keeps going on and on and on and on. And when we realize when Jesus rose from the dead and returned from the grave, he promised us eternity 
Sometimes we get caught up in just this little portion of the world. We live just for today. And then we think, well, our life will end in a few years. But you know what? Eternity goes on and on and on. And what we do with this part of the rope affects what happens with the rest of the rope. And so when we think about the resurrection, it helps us to put into perspective eternity, eternity's sake. Let me tell you a story. Some people are not very fond of flying in airplanes. You know, they don't understand how something made out of metal weighing hundreds of tons can, can transport them floating in the air. And this fear is made worse when there's turbulence. I remember when I was about 12 years old, my family moved. We were living in Lihui, Kauai. And my dad was in the Salvation Army like I am. And he got transferred to this little tiny village in Alaska, southeast Alaska. It was called Cake, K-A-K-E, Alaska. And it's a really remote village on a remote island. There's about 300 people living in that village. And the only way you could get to that village was either by boat or by a seaplane. And I was 12 years old, and my dad chose to uh, get us over there in a seaplane. And so he chartered a plane, I believe it was in Sitka, Alaska, and the plane was about this wide. I was fortunate, I got to sit in the co-pilot's seat, and the pilot was right there. And I told my dad, Dad, I'm not going to go in that plane. It's smaller than a model airplane. And I was afraid. And my dad said, don't worry, we're in good hands. He said, we're in good hands. So I thought, no, he must know the pilot. Well, he just met the pilot that day. How do you know we're in good hands? And so I said, Dad, I'm not going on that plane. And I said, what are those weird-looking things by the wheels? And he says, those are pontoons. I said, what are pontoons? He says, that's when the plane lands in the water. I said, land in the water? You remember know, that tiny thing, and it's supposed to land in the water? And then he said, we're in good hands, son. Don't worry. And I said, I, I refuse to get on the plane. And so my dad said, and my dad was very straightforward. And he said, Philip. What do you call me? What's the worst thing that could happen if we got into that plane? And I'm 12 years old. I said, oh, Dad, we could crash. We could die. We could crash into the ground or we could crash into the ocean. We could drown or we, could pro we would probably freeze before we, we drowned because it was in Alaska and the water was cold. So what's the worst thing that could happen? I said, we could die. And then my dad said, well, Philip, are you prepared to die? I'm 12 years old, Dad. <laughs> My dad was smart. He knew that I'd accepted the Lord when I was a young child. He knew about eternal life and the promise of heaven, and he knew that I knew that too. So he asked me the question, son, are you afraid to die? Are you ready to die? And I gulped, and I said, well, yeah, I guess I'm prepared to die. If it's my time to go, I'm ready to die. Then he said, good. Let's get on the plane. <laughs> so we got on the plane. And it was a very rough ride. Because in a small, tiny plane, you can't fly above the storm. You have to sort of fly underneath the storm at about 150 feet. And the plane was all over the place. And it would hit these air pockets. And we'd just go down real quickly. 
It's kind of like that, uh, that ride at the amusement park, Frogger. Have you ever seen that ride? Kids go up, and all of a sudden it just drops down. And I kept looking back at my dad, and he says, don't worry, son. We're in good hands. We're in good hands. Little did I know that he wasn't talking about the plane or the pilots, but he was talking about God's hands. He kept reassuring me. Fast forward about six years later. We're living in Phoenix, Arizona. My dad is lying in a hospital bed in ICU. I had just returned home uh, for Christmas break from my first year of college. My dad was 47. He had just had a heart attack. So I went to visit him in the hospital. And as I was leaving, because I had to go back to school for the second semester, I said, Dad, you going to be okay? And he said, son, don't worry. I'm in good hands. So I thought, yeah, he's in the hospital. He's got the best medical care, the doctors, the nurses. He's in good hands. Little did I know, those were the last words that I heard from my father. He passed away the next day at 47. And I remember his last words. Don't worry, son. I'm in good hands. When he said good hands, it wasn't the pilot. It wasn't the doctor. It wasn't even an insurance agent that says you're in good hands. And if you're a basketball player, it wasn't Cliff Paul either. But it was God's hands. It was his eternal care. And my dad instilled that within me. That God will take care of you. No matter if you go crashing down into the ocean in a plane. Or you die in a hospital bed. Or you continue to live on. You're in God's hands. And that your life doesn't end when your heart stops beating. But it goes on and on. And you'll be in God's hands. Not just now. But throughout eternity. And so my, my prayer for you today. For each and every one of you. Is that you can say with confidence. With confidence. With certainty. The verse that's up here. It's from, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it says, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever the future holds, we're in his hands. And we can face it with confidence and with hope if our faith is in the one who rose from the dead. So the message of Easter tells us there's no need to be afraid of the future as long as we are in the hands of the God who holds the future. 1 John 4.8 says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he died and shed his blood that was perfect love. When God resurrected his son Jesus from the tomb and from the grave, that was perfect love. And perfect love drives out, casts out all fear. So 
let me encourage you today as we come to a close this morning. When we face times filled with fear, we need to look to the Lord and realize that he has promised us strength that we need to get through whatever comes our way. We don't need to face our difficulties alone if we're trusting the one who has risen from the grave. The Lord promised in Romans that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God. And so Easter tells us we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid.